Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome to the Coach HP Show. Please, let me remind you guys, if you haven't at this time, please subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. Give me your feedback. Love to hear what you guys are thinking. The majority of you guys give me your feedback through Instagram, which is at Coach HP. But if you want to leave a review on Apple, on iTunes, or Spotify, greatly appreciate it. This episode, I'm super excited about this episode because I got a former teammate of mine, former teammate of mine, big time entrepreneur, big time story, lots of things in his past, lots of things in his future, stuff that we didn't even get about, get to talk about, but we talked about upbringing, we talked about the sport, we talked about accountability, we talked about keeping it honest, we talked about the future. We talk about his time with The Rock. We talk about his time with sports, after sports, adversity, being a family man. So without further delay, I sit here and I give you my man, Mike Mendez, entrepreneur Mike Mendez on this episode of the Coach HP Show. Let's go. Three, two, one, boom, Mikey, you're live. What's up, man? Mike, I just came from, your youngest is how old? My youngest is a year and a half. Bro, when your wife was pregnant, did you have to do like a lot of massaging for her and stuff like that? Did you do any of that? No, I think maybe because we had two other kids. <laughs> so you have three. Uh, I have three. So with the first one, with the first one, did you like do massages or anything like that for her? No, you know, with the first one, my wife slept like a bear. Like literally from the moment she found out she was pregnant, it was like sleep. Like she she couldn't get enough of it. And and which was great for, for me and for her in the sense where we could do it. We didn't have a kid. So we didn't we really didn't have any obligations so she could she could sleep. Uh, the second one, uh, it was, you know, it was crazy because we, we always got pregnant around the same time. Our first two are June. So June babies. So uh-huh. she always like kind of missed uh, snowboarding and stuff that we, we would always do. And so it was, 
you know, it's, it's, it's always a blur too, honestly. Like, I know you're going through it again with your second one, but like the pregnancy aspect, I mean, for me, I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. For a woman, it's, it's a blur, but for me, it's, it's kind of a blur and it just kind of all happens. And then the baby's here and then it's, you know, then it's all shit. Like, what do we do? And, you know, for whatever reason, we, we found, uh, a way that it worked for us. Um, I don't, I don't think, I think that everybody tells you, oh, this is the way you have to do it. It's full of shit. I think you have to do whatever is best for you. Right. Uh, right, and right, whatever right. makes the best, what works for your guy's schedule, you know, and you just hope that the baby kind of fits into your schedule, you know? So. Mikey, to me, man, you've always been a super interesting anomaly, man, because <laughs> I feel that, and correct me if I'm wrong, dude, I feel like you have really matured in the last, I don't know, maybe it's the last 10 years or something compared to the dude who I saw in in college. And I know we all mature and that's normal, but it seemed like you really mature, man. Am I right in that or no? I mean, I, I think... I would hope I matured. No, you would hope life lessons would teach you lessons. Um, um, you know, when we met on back in what, 2000 and 2001, whatever it was, 2000, yeah. I mean, no, it was a piece of shit. I was a little, little shit. You know, I, I mean, I'm still little, but uh, in the sense where, you know, to me, the, as much as I knew that baseball was going to end for me, I didn't think it was ever going to end for me, you know, and yeah. I always identified myself as that Michael Mendes, the baseball player. So, you know, it was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, uh, we, we all talk, we still wish we were still in that clubhouse, you know, uh, that's true. Hanging that's out true. and, and, and eating shit and no worries in the world and, you know, making fun of coach price, uh, Dude, here's a funny. Listen, here's a funny. Making fun of so, your locker room. You don't remember this. Your locker room was next to mine. Yeah. Okay. And your locker, the same locker. Your locker was next to mine, which is now, by the way, the Mike Mendez locker. So shout out to the Mike Mendez for having a his own locker room named after him. But, bro, <laughs> you destroyed me one time. You just made a comment because, dude, I I was a little bit behind on a couple things. And since I was a fifth-year senior kind of walk on one of the things, I wasn't very hip on a lot of things. And I remember I used to rock the brief underwear. And you told you made a comment to me. Do you remember that or no? <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that, bro. I mean, it, it definitely would surprise me. I, I, I was definitely not one shy for, for comments. <laughs> to, to bust caps on people. I go, look at this motherfucker, man. All right, all right. And... You were right, dude. I should have been rocking the boxer briefs, but I didn't even <laughs> listen at the time. You know how it is, my Cuban mom. She's buying my clothes. Nah, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I'm a disaster, bro. I was a mess. So I'll never forget that, man. But you know what's I, interesting about you is that, like, you know, you came onto the team. You know, I I don't even remember. I know it wasn't. You weren't with us in the fall. No, I was. Then, I was. No, I was with you. That that's when I came onto the team. Was in the fall. I made the fall team. That's when I made the team. So the fall, and then you, you, but I feel like they were like, you were in and out. I don't know. I, I didn't have that. Like, I don't remember you. Here it is. I got it for you. No, I'm going to give it to you. I'll give it to you. Here's my baseball thing with FIU. Yeah. 
story of my life. I walk on mm -hmm. through Casanova, rest in peace. I I Same get as me, by the way. I was a walk on. So. You walk okay. So walk on fifth year walk on to the team that had just gotten the furthest it had ever gone yeah, before. Just gone, we had just gone to the super regionals. Correct. To the super regionals, so you could imagine. Yeah. So I go there, prepped really well, trained really well. Except, dude, I had the worst case of shin splints you could ever imagine because I remember I, that I, remember I was that. running on concrete and I was just and Mikey. When I got there, I go, if you can hit a home run, the first scrimmage inner squad game, it said something. It sets the yeah. tone. It said something, bro. And then I first at bat was against your boy Baluha. I hit a fly <laughs> ball, a fly out to left field, and then dude against. The lefty we used to have, we used to call him Freddy Krueger. Remember his name? Freddy Krueger. The little lefty from California. I'm thinking of, it's not it's not Matt Crandall. It's not no lefty. Chiquitico. Short lefty American kid that Man, we used to call Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, bro, and and I hit a home run right so center lefty, field. Lefty, lefty, lefty. That changed the whole thing. Uh, I I destroyed that fall. I, I must have hit like six home runs. Uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. But what happens? The team was super stacked with seniors and Bustamante being a switch hitter blocked me a lot. Yeah. Because that he was, imagine he was a senior. Poor Brad Eldred, the greatest home run hitter in the history of FIU, was benched for three years. Yep. was a project. This guy breaks the homework record, and I couldn't find a place to play. And then to end the baseball talk, my when Brad Eldred starts messing up at first base, and my dad saw that they put Hector Nunez to start playing first base, and they didn't start putting me, <laughs> my dad went crazy. And in one of those, my dad goes, listen, if you don't fight this guy today, I'm going to jump the field and fight this guy. <laughs> And that's when I had to say, listen, I'm done with baseball. And I just left in the middle of a game. Yeah, so, that's that's what I remember. That's what I did. Like, that's what I, I had to do because if not, this dude was going to embarrass like someone. One day in the dugout. Like, and one there, day like, in the middle of the day, you're, you're done. You're done. But, you know, I, but, I thank you for the extra locker space that I had. There you go, bro. <laughs> you, were like, you were like Barry Bonds, bro. You <laughs> yeah, had an extra double lockers. double lockers and you didn't even know it. And, <laughs> and you didn't even, the team with the double lockers. Listen, and you didn't even have to put your name on the locker. You no, had an extra I, locker already. It was, it was, it was one of the, honestly one of the most bizarre things that had ever happened in my career of baseball is that, you know, all of a sudden in the middle of a game, we lost the player and like nobody knew nobody knew. I didn't I didn't tell honestly, anybody nobody knew anything till you literally showed up at fucking body and soul like 20 years later listen and <laughs> and just pull up next to me dude like, so let, talking about that real quick man because you're one of the guys that I could have on this show and just talk you know a lot of people aren't used to platforms and talking so it becomes more of like an interview style with with you I can talk and I could talk honestly and I could talk for about anything. That time with you was super interesting because if we go back to FIU, oh, no, wait, and before, I even caught you before that because here's a funny story. So I'm in the middle of my Miami acting career mm -hmm. and I'm shooting a soap opera called Soñar No Cuesta Nada. I'm an extra. 
and I'm at this house in Pine Crest. It's at my parents' house. <laughs> Bro, and I'm at this now house. Now you just mentioned that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Remember that. I, I'm at this house that I see this thing, and I'm like, dude, this fucking thing's a fortress, bro. What the fuck is this? And in the and you can imagine that soap opera was stacked with yeah, Michael with stars, bro. A yeah. lot of talent was in that. Which I knew nothing about. Obviously, the Latin, the the telenovela world. Yeah, what I are we gonna know about of, that? I knew nothing about who those people were, but as as time went on, I I, I can't I come to find out that these were like big players in the players, and i'm there like we say in spanish call out being like an extra bro like an extra and i'm just there waiting and then here's the worst thing i did bro i have been you got lucky man you got blessed with good hair i started <laughs> pretty much at that time mikey and i we were put that i was probably 24 probably 25 years old bro and i had already had hair problems i was starting to th i was starting to thin up here Probably from mm -hmm. FIU, bro. Even yeah. before that, in the crown up here. And I had shaved my head. No tanning, no nothing. And in a Spanish soap opera, to shave your head, that's like the biggest like no to do ever. And I looked like an alien in that thing. <laughs> I, I remember I did rock a, I think I had a nice Gucci suit. Mm -hmm. But dude, and I remember doing that and I saw you there and I go, Man, this guy's my life must be amazing, bro. To have look how awesome your house is. The time is your house. Yeah. To have a soap opera at your house means your place is fucking stacked, bro. How was that for you, bro? You at FIU, you drove an X5. Not too many people get that luxury. How was that for you? From the outside, it looks like you're winning. Looking, reflecting back at that now bro the envy on you i'm sure was huge the jealousy on you i'm sure was huge not by me i always gave you props for all that but how was that for you how hard was that for you dude so you know going back i get to fiu as a as a junior transfer um i had had gone to westminster christian here um had uh, had a pretty good career, won national championships, state championships. I signed with a small Division II college called Lynn University in Boca Raton, coming out of high school. Part of the reason I signed with them is is simply that, mind you, I had FIU offer me full rides. I had Clemson uh, literally offering me like a a, a pencil scholarship. Uh, literally, the the coach told me, no, we can literally pay for your pencils if you come here. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, but I, I went with a division two. One of the main reasons I went with them is, is that academically I was a disaster in high school. Um, I was now, always like, why is that? Cause you were into chicks. You just could care no, less. I just, I can, I could care less. I, I just wanted to play ball. I wanted to play ball. I wanted to do nothing else but play ball. And you know, I, I, I did enough to pass and to play, but I, I never like asserted myself into anything that had to do with, with school uh i was always a kid like literally you know 1 a.m trying to put together a project last minute to right. piecemeal something and so I, I went with this d2 i was there and as soon as i got there day one i realized <laughs> i made a mistake um it was a disaster and you know 
I uh, so I was there for two years. I hurt my elbow pitching. I had to get Tommy John, so I sat out what it would have been my junior year, and I transferred to FIU. Mikey, how so hard I, were you throwing back then? Because for people who don't know, how tall are you? No, I'm like on a good day with, with my cleats on. <laughs> I was up five eight, five. So maybe five eight, right? Five, nine. Yeah. But you used to throw hard, bro. No, no. I, I like I tell everybody that asked me. I, I threw incredibly hard, but I had no idea where it was coming. Where Dude, was, where I, I, I remember you used to have like a you used to have like a wind like your wind up like you used to go elbow high to like kind of big time over the top and then like a big hop and that's why like I would tear all of my right shoe because I would drag my back foot but I would I would I mean I was literally every pitch was as hard as I could I could throw it every why did you throw pitch. so hard how hard did you get to throw. I was finally clocked. I believe my last, like, uh, my last year was any between 93 to 95. No um, way, bro. But I mean, again, I had no idea where it was going. Uh, it was, it was, it was feast or famine. You know, it was one of those things like, and I knew when they would bring me out from the bullpen, I knew within the first pitch or two, what type of day it was going to be. Um, Damn, like, there was no, <laughs> it was no, Mikey, what was your secret to throwing so hard, bro? I, you know, honestly, I have to give that to just like genetics. Uh, I don't, I, I never did anything exceptionally well to, to throw hard. As obviously as I got older and I learned how to throw mechanically a little bit better, I got stronger, I threw harder. But like the arm action was always there. Um, the ability to generate velocity was always there. It was the same thing when I if when I was younger and I would hit like I would literally I could hit a ball as far as anybody. It's just I knew how to create torque for whatever reason, and it wasn't because it was Todd or anything. Like that. I just had that ability to create strength in in throwing or hitting. Right. But going back to FIU is so I transferred to FIU as a walk on. Um, I had nothing was promised to me. I show up there day one, like any other walk-on on the team, and, and they didn't even have like a, a uniform for me, nor a number, nor nothing. Uh, this was fall, you know, going into that team that ends up being the greatest team of FIU's history. You know, they had stacked uh, pitching staff, and here, you know, here I come, you know, coming off a of Tommy John surgery. I haven't pitched competitively in like 18 to 24 months. Um and Coach Calvi kind of, you know, takes me a little bit under his wing, starts grooming me, putting me together. You know, I I actually start putting together some really good numbers in the fall. And in there, I basically look like I've made the team. And Calvi, for, for the most part, guarantees me a spot on the team. He's like, you know, this you're going to help us win. So whatever, you know, fall, fall ends, we have that scout day. I throw in the scout there. I pitch pretty well, whatever. Fall ball's over. I get a call to go to coach, coach, uh, coach's office, coach Price's office. And as I walk in, I knew immediately. Uh, I see Calvi with his head down. I see Kaz just kind of like not giving me eye contact. And coach Price sits me down. He's like, we're going to cut you. Uh, we're going to cut you. Uh, and, you know, uh, I wish you well, whatever. And, you know. That was it. Obviously, I left there holding, <laughs> trying not to cry. 
I went home and I lost my shit just crying. At that time, Is that the first parents, time you've ever been cut, Mike? That was the first time I ever like did not have success in like something baseball related. Uh, you know, I I even won a national championship in little league, like Corey League. Like I have always been able to find a way to win. Right. And then all right. of a sudden now, like, you know, I, I again it goes back to that identity. Like, I, how was I going to identify as now not anymore Michael the baseball player? You know, the the I felt embarrassed. Obviously, I was cut. Like everybody knew me in Miami as the guy who plays baseball, and like now I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. And you know, looking back out of it, it's kind of dumb, but it's you know, if if it were to happen again, and if it happens to a kid tomorrow, I'm sure that kid will have the same effect that I had on me. Like it hurts to to be to somebody take something away from you. Um, so I get cut. I come home. Obviously, I'm a wreck. My parents are devastated for me. They feel terrible. Um, you know, my best friend at the time, Javi Lopez, still my best friend. He's the godparent to my kids and and vice versa. He's in Harvard at this time, and he decides to go study abroad in Spain. And my parents were like, you know what? Go see Javi. Go. We're buying you a ticket. Go see Javi. Go during Christmas break. All right, great. Well, two days before that, I get a call from Coach Price. He's like, I need you to come to my office. So, all right. So I go, and he's like, hey, I have like five or six schools asking for your release. Um, you know, why are they asking for your release? Should I, should I know something about you? How horrible is Price, bro? Huh? Yeah. How horrible is that, dude? That, that, so, that, what are these schools that aren't even here? Didn't see that yeah. I missed all fall. So he's he, so in that he goes, he tells me something. He goes, listen, a lot of the players have come to me and told me that I made a mistake, uh, that I should not have cut you, and that I can help you win, um, and. I said, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. And he says, well, this is what I'm going to do for you. And you can, I can sign these releases and you're free to go. Or you're on the team, but you are literally not on the roster. You will, I cannot, I'm not, I, I'm not going to promise you that you'll ever travel. I'm not going to promise you that you'll ever dress out, nor that you'll ever pitch in a game. But you'll be part of the team. You can accept that or you can take the release. And I, Kavi was in there and Kavi, you know, to this day, like I love Kavi, like with everything I have, I look at Kavi and he's like nodding my head, nodding his head, like, you know, take the deal, take the deal. And I said, all right, I'll take it. So I took the deal, man. And, 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 you know, to, to my own credit, I dressed out every single game. I traveled every trip, you know, by the time the second game of the season was that year, I was the second guy coming out of the bullpen. And by the time that that year ended, I was the first guy coming out of the bullpen in Notre Dame uh, at, this, at the regional. So, you know, I, I literally, going back to your initial question, how was it having, being this guy that had this beautiful house and drove these, this beautiful car and all this stuff? You know, nobody really judged me for that because they just saw me as this kid that got cut that had to battle his ass and and work just harder to stay on this team. So I, I think I earned 
that year, that team, so much respect from everybody because, you know, I could have easily just like quit and, and, and gone on with life, but I came back and, and to the credit to the team too, like nobody in the team ever like said, uh, you were the fucking guy that got cut. No, like at all, you know, they, they backed, they backed me. They gave me everything they had. When I went out to pitch, it was like if I was Willie Collazo coming out to pitch, you know, there was never any judgment whatsoever. Uh, and, and not bad, you know, we, that team is, is, is an amazing story of how we just became a team, uh, and how we all pulled for each other and played hard for each other. And the following year is a perfect example of taking for granted how great we did the year before and not being able to duplicate it and go further because our egos as as individuals got in the way. And that team, even though that team the following year was essentially a better team, we could not put it together because everybody's egos were so big that it, it, it just didn't work. Um, you, you think that the you think our team not having a pitcher like Willie because Willie was key, bro. Willie as an opener, yeah, we had big think, leaders. Who, yeah, because and then also our team became like the draft. Everybody's worried about the draft. Correct. And then the freshmen that yeah. came on were worried because Am was worried that he was promised to play, and then he wasn't playing, so he was pissed, yeah. and it was just like. But I mean, look, Am was in, was was a talented player. Um, Dennis Diaz, incredibly talented player. Um, you had those two guys alone, and then you had a, the lefty pitcher from from uh, Miami Beach as well. Another great talent. Uh, kid. When you had Banks, yeah, we had Josh Banks. Uh, Josh was already a sophomore that year, but you know we ha- we what Price was able to bring in was some pretty quality young freshmen. Where we probably lacked was in in a strong leadership, you know, like Brad. Brad was an amazing player, right? But he's a quiet leader. He's, he's a somebody quiet leader. that leads with his bat and leads by playing. You know, we 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 had a hard time. And then Hector's somebody. a borderline th- gangster, so we can't. We yeah, <laughs> Hector Nunez so, was out of control, so it couldn't be him, even no, though he you know, he had those qualities. Emotional, oh, yeah, 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 super emotional. But he was also somebody that if 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 he went over three, he didn't really want to talk about like yeah. the team. He wanted to talk about himself, and I get it because you know a lot rode for him. He was under a lot of pressure to perform and to go to the next level because of family pressures and, and situations that he was under. Yeah. So you know it, it was it was uh it was an interesting you know going from that team to the next team. And and not being able to be as successful and and knowing underlining knowing why we weren't successful yeah. uh, was was pretty frustrating. Mendes, do you remember my boy Solomon Frieder too? Do you remember Solomon? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was an interesting. He's a funny dude. Like the best thing about Solomon is that he is the most sarcastic motherfucker in the world. And like, I, you know what I told him? I go, bro, listen to me. And it's funny, man, because. He does the alarms for my my businesses. So he's, I feel so bad for him because that dude had Solomon ran a six five sixty. No, he was a great hitter. A great cannon hitter. for an arm. Great, you know, great everything. If, if Solomon would have been five ten, yeah, five eleven, six feet, and he's in the middle of the steroid era. 
So yeah. it's like you ain't, you know, and Price oh, beautiful made a swing, beautiful swing, battled like a dude was just there. Yeah. But his demeanor, I go yeah. to him, I go, I go, bro, you went into the wrong thing. You should go into poker because yeah. he has the best poker face I've ever seen yeah. in my life. Dude. Definitely. And, you know, and, and, and he was the worst guy to have in your dugout. Like if you're on the bench, <laughs> he didn't give a shit. If he wasn't playing, someone was just complaining that he's not playing. That he's not and, playing, bro. And just literally pouting the whole game. <laughs> but, and he's you know, funny too because his car sarcasm no, through the roof. Oh, so yeah, he's yeah. hilarious. He's so passive aggressive and like it's it's perfect. It, it was perfect. I mean, he's a he's a good dude, really good yeah, dude. He's funny, dude. Mikey, yeah. any did as pitcher, did you guys have walk-up songs or anything like that? Like going out to the field songs? Did you guys get that or no? We did. Uh you remember yours? Did. No, I have no idea. You know, I have no idea. And it's funny, like today, I, I, you know, I always think about that every once in a while. Like, what would I pick today as a, as a, as a walk-up song? You know, like things that pump me up today. Like, it's funny. So, like, when I train, I try to listen to, like, the most, like, I, like Mumford and Sons or, like, U2. Like, just to keep me, like, kind of chill. I don't want to, like, get excited so that I'm I'm killing myself. You know, maybe it's because I'm just old. Right. Uh, now and and I don't, but yeah, I I, and I always tend to listen to more like um, depressing music. So my my wife is always like, Jesus Christ, change the channel, please. You know, Mike. Let me ask you a question, bro. When did you become? Because I see you, bro. Like your your vocabulary, the way you're like super articulate, bro. For a dude that didn't get good grades at all, whatever. <laughs> did you become like like a like like a scholar at some point? Did you become like a reader? Did you take a special course? Like, how did you become no, so man. like smart? I no, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm smart. I think I'm just like I would say I'm more like a common sense. More, I read a lot. Like, and when I say read, not like books and stuff like that. Like articles. Uh, I use this app that's called like Blink. And it's like uh, it'll take a book and like literally shrink it, and it, you can listen to like a so it's like called a book. Blink. You can listen, yeah. You can listen to like a blink list. Is what it is. Blink list. What kind of articles do you like to read? Dude, I'll read anything. I don't. I'm I'm like the guy literally that my wife and my my friends always make fun of it that I'm I'm filled with like useless information. Like literally. No, filled. but that's where the that's where it comes no, from. No, no, I know, I know. But I, I you know, I'm constantly reading things and reading articles and like looking at things and what was um, the last good article you read that you remember? Dude, <laughs> um the last one that I just read, right? Like as we were sitting here waiting for this interview was the um I was reading A Rod losing his court battle to his uh brother in law, his ex brother in law. Uh, over a real estate um, empire thing that they had built together, and and it's uh, it was kind of crazy. Like reading the story, like A Rod had ninety five percent control of this company, and he wanted to cut from what. Obviously, I'm reading on a one sided word. Obviously, if you listen to A Rod, I'm sure he's going to say differently. But I'm reading this article that's you know supposed to be one sided. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, neutral. But right. it um, it reads more in favor of the the ex brother in law, but basically saying that A Rod just screwed him, and it was interesting in in the sense where like I, it, you know to me would would somebody go to that level to because you divorced 
a family, you know, you divorce his sister, you're going to screw now their brother-in-law. So, you know, it was an interesting article, uh, but I, I'll read anything. I, I mean, honestly, like, I, you know, I, I spend hours just reading shit all the time, uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, I love, I you know, I listen to your podcast. I listen to... You're the man, I love, bro. Thank you for that. I love listening to uh, NPR, How I Built This. You know, that's probably like, I can listen to hours and hours of that. Um, you know, that's that's something that I love listening to the stories of these people, like how they built their their empires. But it's not, it's not even how the success, it's the story of their failures and how they literally grinded it out and never gave up. Uh, which honestly, like you listen to some of these stories, you'll be like, fuck, man, I would have quit so long ago. But these people had the Mikey, fortitude. Look, did you did you see did you hear the episode with Motora yet with me and Jesus Feliciano? No, no, no. You, you gotta check that one out. My you wife is check... making fun of me because I'm wearing my glasses. No, no, no. You gotta <laughs> is that the one is that the one to block the blue lens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me tell you, for me. I think I, you know this. I had open heart surgery a couple of years ago. Um, and one of the, I, and I, I came back amazing. Like I, I no no bullshit, like awesome. But the one thing that has affected me has been my vision and bright lights and like blue light bothers me that it causes me to get like really blurry vision. Sometimes it causes headaches. And those glasses um, hurt. So these glasses have Help. helped with not getting those headaches and and. Well, what type she, of glasses are those? What type of glasses? They're called caddies, and it's just a blue light glass. It's called caddies. I got, I, yeah, I have, I have twenty ten vision. Like I can literally see anything, but the the blurry vision was just so much all the time that I had to try something. I went to see neurologists, all these other doctors, and all this stuff, and everybody's like, "There's nothing wrong with your eyes." I was like, "But there has to be." I'm literally going blurred all the time but but um going back to to what were you what were you talking about before now the right. um the guy you asked me a feliciano yes the, okay I, I didn't yeah you have to hear this podcast bro this dude just listen to these facts five i think feliciano's like five nine five eight played with me at miami dade the year before when my freshman year so 98 he was at miami dade Weighed 150, like this, skinny. Could hit, could run, tremendo pelotero. Uh, his dad's real famous in Puerto Rico for baseball. Gets drafted, goes to professional baseball. Mikey gets cut and released, I think, six times before his first major league at bat. Oh. Think about that, dude. Gets cut six times. Then, here's the great one. He gets his first, he made it with the Mets. Got drafted mm -hmm. by the Dodgers with the Dodgers, made it with the Mets. Then he shares a story of when they call him up. He was in, luckily he was in Scranton. I think that's where they have their AAA. They go, listen, we're, you're, you're going to be in the big league team. You're going to come when the team comes home. The team's in San Diego. Uh, Frank Cor, I think, was the right fielder who got injured. Mm -hmm. He was thinking of shutting it down for the season. This dude drives in, stops at a mall. Get some gear to look cool, whatever. Is literally staying at the hotel across from City Field, waiting to get the call. As soon as the team comes in, Manaya calls him and goes, "Listen, sorry, bro, we're not gonna be able to push the team." Drives back, 
to go back to the AAA team to play with them the following day. This happened to him twice. Oh, my God. Then, here's the kicker. Then, the guy comes back. They He gets the award for, like, hitter of the minor leagues or something. Yeah. It's at City Field where he's supposed to be playing, but he's not. So, uh, he goes to me. Listen, I was debating saying, fuck those guys. I'm not showing up. Yeah. But he goes, he goes, you know what? I got to. He showed up, whatever. Finally gets the his couple months in the big leagues, blah, blah, blah. Becomes a coach. Bro, now he is the first base coach. He's the outfield coach and the base running coach for the Angels. Big league team. Nice. Good for him. So imagine, bro. Mike Trout, Ohani, Pujols, everybody, bro. Yeah. And it's those stories that – it's why these things are important, man. And it's why I think you stay in a state of of awareness and a state of almost intelligence, bro, because – see, what people don't understand, people that don't do what you do, when the free time is very interesting, what you do with your free time and what you put in your brain. And if you keep putting stories of success and learning and information in your brain, that gets you through the day. Well, I'm talking about when you're whatever, point A to point B, blah, blah, whatever. If you don't do that, then what happens? And your mind starts escaping into whatever. And it usually escapes to negative things, not positive things. For sure. So I love, I mean, love, it, love that it's you do easy. That. It's easy to dwell on the negative, no? You know, uh, yes. and and always be like the, you know, thinking about the what ifs and why don't I have that or this and that, you know, which is, it's kind of crazy, you know, when we think back now, when I think about, you know, my kids are growing up in such a weird time, uh, you know, right now. And, you know, I, I'm, I quietly worry that, you know, my kids, you know, I know they won't have the same childhood that I had um, just because it's just different, you know, social media, uh, so much content out there, so much ability to, you know, when we grew up, there was no Google, there was no, no anything. Uh, you know, now it's, everything is in front of their face. Any, any move you make, you know, you're going to be criticized for, uh, and so it, it's, it's tough being a kid today. Uh, especially like a teenager. So I, I, I get concerns for my kids and my, my cousins, my, I'm sorry, my nieces and my, uh, but you know, my kids, I get worried about like, you know, I, I want, I don't want like my son, for example, to think it's okay to not lose. And that, and the reason what I say with that is like, if he plays for a team, and like everybody gets the same participation trophy. Like I don't, I don't agree with that. You know, I, I understand the concept behind it, but I don't agree with it. Like that's part of life. You're going to have to lose to to get to where you want to go. And you know, learning how to like for me, when I didn't win, I realized as a as being part of teams is I realized real quickly I don't I'm going to do everything I can not to be in that situation. I don't want to be part of a team that's just going to lose. Like, that's not for me. Uh, you know, so I want my kids to, to like, learn how to fail, how that feels, and, like, watch the other kid get the first place trophy. Like, I want them to see that, I, you know, because that is what's going to burn them inside to to get to where they want to go. 
Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely concerned that we're just growing up in a world. I mean, they're growing up in a world that's going to be really different on many different levels. Uh, you know, and it, it's, you know, it's one of those things like I, you know, I, I'm always concerned that they're not getting outside enough and they're not playing enough, you know, uh, and, you know, because it's, it's, everything is about school and compete and competing in the classroom. Let me but, see if you agree you know. with this, Mikey. Let me see if you agree with this. So yesterday, I was in New York, and I was recording. Uh, I didn't know I was going to do this, but the CEO of Barstool, she put me on her podcast called Token CEO. It is oh, awesome. I saw you forwarded to me. Forwarded to me. I went on. No, that's me fucking around on the yak. That's oh. a whole different thing. That's those dudes fucking. No, no, this lady's like, it's a legit podcast. I recommend it. It's yeah. called the Token CEO. I'll send it to you so you can see it. But she asked me. She asked me these questions that you asked, these concerns you have, she asked me on her podcast. She goes, all right, Hector, so what is it? And I go, I'm going to tell you what it is. Mike Mendez's at the time, even though you guys were well off, how many spa days did your mom take that you remember? You, your mom, how many spa days growing up? Well... I'm going to tell you another story on that aspect of it. So I grew up in Westchester, just like you grew up. You know, you grew up and you went to Braddock, so you grew you grew up probably a little bit more Kendall, no? So, I was by Belen, by Belen. Okay, so I was off of, by Core Park. Um, I grew up, <clears throat> I went to public school my whole life. Um, I went to Core Park Elementary. I went to Rockway Middle School. I went to Coral Park High School till my junior year when I transferred to Westminster. But prior to that, <clears throat> my dad worked for the county. Um, my dad was, is a, a civil engineer, so he ran the public works department. My mom <clears throat> was a banker, a banking officer. Uh, she eventually made it all the way up to a, uh, <clears throat> a senior vice president or somebody at Ocean Bank. But in 1996, <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, man. Hey, our life, and when I say our, my family's life changed forever um, on for many different reasons. But I was at a baseball game at Westminster in 1996, around 3 o'clock. We were playing Olympia Heights, I believe is the school that we were playing, something with an O. Um, during that time, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon that day, February 24th, 1996, my uncle gets blown out of the sky by the Cuban government. He was one of the brothers to the rescue pilots that was flying that day, wherein the Cuban government flew MiGs into international airspace and blew up two MiGs, I mean, two Cessna planes. So for people that know what Cessna planes, that's literally like the Yugo of, of planes, a tiny little plane. The missile ultimately that killed my uncle was bigger than the plane. Um, so that was 1996, three o'clock in the afternoon, three 30 is when it happens. I am in the car dealership at the Ford after the baseball game. I'm literally in my Westminster uniform sitting in the Ford dealership there in Coral Gables. I, my dad had made a promise to me. He said, if you have a great game or something like that, I'll get you a car, you know? Like, no and I, so I said, all right, shit. So I mind you, I needed a car because I was driving myself to school every day down to from from Westchester off of 8th Street all the way down to 152nd and Oak Cutler to go to Westminster. 
So we're at the car dealership. I still remember that it was yesterday. I was sitting there next to my mom. My dad's doing like all the paperwork stuff, negotiating, whatever. And we're watching TV. And all of a sudden, breaking news comes out. Uh, two brothers to the rescue planes are missing. Obviously, at this point, we didn't know exactly what happened. My mother literally like fell off her chair. This is her brother. This is her brother. Uh, okay. Her younger, older her or younger, younger brother. Younger brother. Younger. Oh my god. My How old was he? Was 28 years old when he got killed. Damn. Um, Were you tight with him, like, Mikey? Were you tight with him? Super. I mean, he was like a brother because the age. The age got was so yeah. close. Um, you know that. Yeah, he was like a. He was like a, literally like a part of the family. Always holiendo. He never got married. Uh, thankfully, in that sense, he never got married, never had kids. So, like, that family that he probably would have had didn't have to go through this. Uh, but, you know, so that happens. My family, like, the dynamic of my family and, like, what we were as far as, like, just your everyday middle-class Westchester family, you know, just doing everything to do to get by. You know, my parents did an amazing job of like giving my sister, myself, and my little brother everything that we've ever wanted, not thinking that we were ever in like financial trouble. But looking back at it now, like there was times where my parents were struggling to get by, but they did an amazing job of really sheltering us, giving us everything that we ever would have wanted. But not everything, but enough of everything and giving us a great life. But all of a sudden, literally, my mom had to quit her job to basically fight the good fight for my uncle and, and literally travel the world with my grandmother to make sure that my uncle's death was not in vain. They went to the Geneva Convention. They went to The Hague to, fly, to fight in international court. They fought here in the United States. They passed laws. <clears throat> they had the Helms-Burton law passed. They got they got uh, Castro condemned. They had the pilots that shot, that committed the crime, and the actual the lieutenant and the, everybody in the army that had anything to do. They had they put them on Interpol list. Like literally, these not only my 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 mom and my family, but the the families of the other three that were killed. They literally they they went from strangers to all of a sudden having to work together to make sure that this did not happen in vain. And, you know, they, <clears throat> to their credit, to, to today, almost 25 years later than from when this happened, <clears throat> they are still fighting the fight and making sure that everything that they, that ever happened that day and who can be held accountable is still going to be held accountable at some point in time. So, Going back to your original question, my mom, my parents didn't grow up. We didn't grow up to that spa thing or that my parents' escape was taking us to different sporting events that we were involved in as kids. And that being said, I didn't start playing baseball until I was about 11 because I had open heart surgery at five. And my first open heart surgery at five, the doctors did not let me play any kind of competitive sports. Till I was about 11. And that was because I was begging them to let me play. And that's when I started playing baseball. Prior to that, I didn't play any competitive sports. Um, but, you know, you know, we, we, we definitely grew up. I grew up very different to when, from how you met me. 
you know, and <clears throat> definitely like my parents always, always, always did everything they could to make sure like my sister and I always, you know, had the nicest clothes because we, we, you know, to look good and to like have, you know, instead of my parents buying themselves a new car, they would buy us a new car. Uh, right. Instead of, you know, uh, that was kind of how they dealt with things. You know, when I went to Westminster, it was definitely like a huge expense for them, you know, to fork over for me to go to Westminster, but they felt that was the best route for me to get to college was to go to a, a school like that. And if a school like that can t is going to accept me for and, and I can play at, that's where I need to go. And and they did that. And they, you know, and I, and I, and I think, you know, I, looking back at it, like I never realized how much they did for me uh, as a kid, because you know, you're, you're your kid. You're not, you're not, you don't understand. But now as a father, as a husband, have my own business and stuff like that. No, I, I definitely like I, I I remember when I was going into heart surgery two years ago, I wrote several letters to different family members. And I remember I wrote, you know, I wrote a letter. And this was more like if in the event if anything happened, you know, like I wanted them to understand how I felt about them. And I wrote it to a couple friends and to like my parents, my wife, obviously my kids. And I wrote a letter to my parents letting them know like, you know, I never understood what it was or how it would be like in a life where I didn't have things because you guys gave us everything, even though you didn't have anything. And that I could never, re you know, repair. Like, so like my wife always makes fun of me in the sense where I always want to take my kids to Disney World because for me, going to Disney World with my parents was like the highlight. I remember my parents would literally wake up at four in the morning on a Saturday and drive our asses in the middle of the night to be there at Disney World to spend the day and come back that same day. And I didn't and I didn't understand that the reason they did it that way is because they couldn't afford for us to stay at our hotel. You know, it was too much money. But for us and my sister and and eventually my brother, it's like that was the greatest fucking day this of our life. Awesome. And like my you know, my parents are the are rich, you know, like we're going to Disney World. And, and, you know, so that, that to me, like, you know, I, I, I let them in those letters understand that, like, you know, in the event that if anything were to ever happen, like they understood, like, I truly appreciate everything that they, they did for me and they still do for me, uh, today, uh, you know, they really push, you know, in, in making sure that we are a family, um, and, and, you know, my wife, you know, we always make fun of how how tight my family is and like and how we always have to do things together and stuff like that. And like we joke about it. But it, it, at the end of the day, it's 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 incredibly important, uh, especially for our kids to see that and understand the unit that we are as a family. So, you know, that I, I hope that we continue on in that route. But uh, but no, I mean, you know, so going back to your initial question of that lady asking you, how many days did your all right. So no, 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 that's me asking her. No, 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 I, no, I know, her. I know. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. So I asked, so I, I go, how many days did your mom go to the spa? She goes to me, zero. I just asked you the same question. You yeah. said zero. My mom, my mom cleaned houses, bro. So z give me triple zeros, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. So then there's nothing wrong with spas. Nothing at all. They're awesome. Here's the thing. In today's world now, You'll have a seven-year-old girl 
for her birthday party doing like a special princess spa day, which is super cute, super awesome. Here's the catch. We're not teaching kids the responsibilities of things. Here's another example. When me and you played baseball, there was one coach that would come in with a green, usually military-looking bag. He would open the bag, drop three helmets that would spin all over the place, whatever. Sometimes they would spray them in because they had lice. Sometimes yeah. they they'd be missing the ear flaps. There was always that one good helmet that everybody used because they had the two little no padding in and the padding, yeah. whatever. One, three bats, they put them against the wall, whatever. Nowadays, every kid has their own bag with yeah. their own helmet, two bats, two separate, well, the whole thing. That's not bad. What's bad is that our generation as parents are not communicating with kids. We're not communicating with our wives. We're not communicating with our husbands things that are happening. So what's happening, Michael, is everybody wants to compete with Mike Mendez. So in order to compete with Mike Mendez, I got to do things that maybe I can't afford but I think I got to complete with you that so that me, I could feel like I fit in with you. So what does that mean? When you raise your expenses and when you do stuff to fit in other people, now you're going to have to work a little more. So what happens when you work more? You're tired when you get home. So what happens when you're tired? Instead of you grabbing your son and saying, hey, listen, buddy, we're going to do some sprints outside, you're going to throw a phone at his face and say, entertain <laughs> yourself. And yeah. what's happening is, These kids growing up now in the era of this is they don't know what it's like to have people love them in a different way, not to just throw stuff in your face in a different way. One of the things I could, I thank a lot my dad indirectly, indirectly. My dad was the real opposite of your family. Dude, I went to Disney World one time in 1983, I think, for my sister's <laughs> birthday, and we never won again. Okay, because this dude, and it's funny you said that. So you would go to Disney World in a day, do Disney World, come back. What my dad would pull was, I don't know why, he would come drive us, I don't know why, to like, let's say, kind of like Naples or something. We would look at hotels in the car, bro, and then drive back home. <laughs> go figure that one out, man. And it was What I criticized about my dad was not that he did that, not that he didn't spend any money on us on that way or any fancy vacations or because I could count in my fingers the with leftover things, how many family vacations we took, whatever. I don't criticize yeah. any of that. What I criticize is the abuse, yeah. both physically and verbally yeah. to all of us, to all three of us. With that said, that's my answer to that and to this generation is, and to your concerns is, okay, Luckily, my kids go to a 0.1% school that people would die for. It's one of them. The other one, I don't know if they don't, whatever. Your job is now to correct that. And when your daughter is in a class where 10 of her friends are talking about private planes, you're able to say, yeah, private planes, awesome. That's really cool. Because remember, here's the other thing. When me and you were growing up, we didn't know what a billionaire was. We're not talk about that. Bro, now there's trillionaires, man. <laughs> so it's a whole different thing. And what's happening is the older generation 
is always criticizing the younger generation instead of giving these people love because bro we didn't know what anxiety was we didn't know what depression was we didn't know we just thought they were crazy we didn't yeah. know was being dealing with your sexuality issues we didn't know about these things so it was literally nowadays the best way to live right now is right now except what's happening the responsibility of understanding the technology is way below than the technology. So the technology, social media is killing us because we're not educating parents that, okay, you want to post that little, your son has a cool name. What's your son's name again? Parker. Parker. Parker Mendez. I'm all for undercover Cubans. I'm all I'm Parker. all undercover cover undercover. Parker names. Charlie Mendez. Yeah, tu sabes. <laughs> Parker Charlie Mendez. So when Parker strikes out, you don't post a single thing. But when Parker hits a home run, majority of people, there comes Parker hitting a home run yeah. and blah blah blah. That's the problem, man. So there is no process, there is no journey, there's no adversity, there's nothing. Yeah. If you start right now, Michael. Breaking that trend, breaking that trend, speaking with your wife, speaking with this, speaking and communicating, communicating. That's what's missing, bro. So I think communication is is huge. And that's what I told her in the podcast. And I, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that are missing too, I, and I agree with you on all that, I think communication is, is humongous. And, you know, kids today, you know, we're only seeing a very, a snippet of, of what anybody wants to show us in life, no? which is the great. And that's, that's also the beauty and the curse of Instagram, no? Mm -hmm. uh, or social media is that we, we only want to show the beauty. Uh, we don't want to show the beast. Right. And so, but I think another thing that's missing today is, is I feel like, you know, all these kids, they are in all sports across the world. It's all about these travel teams and these travel ball and, and these super teams. And like, dude, how are you going to tell me that a seven or eight year old will never be good enough to play college baseball because a seven or eight or even nine, they weren't getting it together in baseball or basketball or football. But you, a parent that knows nothing about baseball as a coach, and it's going to be their coach, Maybe a guy that's never played college baseball or a guy who maybe just played a little bit of high school baseball or maybe even just didn't play baseball in high school is going to predetermine that my seven or eight year old is not good enough to ever play baseball. And, and, and basically my kid is out from ever playing the game again, because at that age, they, they can't compete because they're going to, going to create these super teams only. So, you know, what happens there is like you've literally s separated all these kids that, that maybe love the game, but maybe they're not good yet. But eventually, maybe they will get. I mean, that's me. I, I didn't start playing until I was 11. So you're going to tell me at 11 years old, when I showed up that first day at Flagami, like you're talking about with my coach with a green fucking army bag, dumps out the helmet. I don't know. I didn't know anything about baseball. I, I, I knew what watching it on TV was, but I didn't know really any the intricacies of baseball. But I figured it out, and, and thankfully I played Division One baseball. Um, but you're going to predetermine a kid at seven years old, six years old, eight years old that, hey, he's not good enough and, and he's never going to play. That's bullshit. Like, 
I think we need to go back to like the days of like like Amy, Tammy Amy, where they had the draft and you had, you know, two pretty good kids, five or six mediocre kids and, and three kids that were terrible. And and you figured it out and you put that team together. And you went on the field and you put it out there. And, it'll never happen. And, it'll never happen again. No, it's, it, it was it, beautiful, but it was our era. Yeah. You used to come home and you used to see your team, and it's exciting. You're like, oh, look who I got this year. Look who I got who that got year. Drafted. Yeah, who got me drafted? And yeah. and it was like a lottery thing. So you every year, yeah, you were. But you know what they do now, Mike? Now, God forbid, you find a good core of parents. You want to just hold them for dear life and have that person be with your kid for the next five years, the same group of people, the yeah. same this, the same that. Whether the team's good or not, they just, wherever one kid goes, they all follow. And that's the reality of today, bro. And all again, that's why information, and that's why at the beginning, when I started being Coach HP, I would tell people, here's my opinion. No, Coach, because my kid wants his his school team wants him to play for him I that's that makes that's awesome but here's the problem you can't overkill this thing because this thing is different you don't understand baseball to go to a baseball game is a three-hour event for little league getting ready yeah. traffic doing everything then you're gonna pull your family apart to be in a baseball field at the age of nine at the age of ten there's no way there's no way flip it have fun I just had uh, last week I had Dr. Lee Kaplan. Lee Kaplan is probably the best uh, sports medicine guy in the country, bro. Mm -hmm. Head of UM, I don't know if you know he's head of UM medicine. He does a yeah, football yeah, team, a medical no, sports no. medicine. He's yeah. a badass, badass. He goes to me, you know why there's more injury now? I'll tell you why. Let's say you take a pro guy. A pro guy comes, plays his season, and then takes a month off. Goes on vacation, chill, etc. Kids nowadays, they play their season. And then they're excited. They're, they're dying to go right into summer ball because they don't they don't have a scholarship yet. They don't have this. They don't have that. And it's completely the opposite, bro. We took out fun. We took out fun out of being competitive. We just yep. put fun as winning, and that's it. And Dude, you I, know who's I, guilty of that? Us. I mean, yeah, it, it's turned. It just became so competitive that that. People started realizing, you know, to get to the next level um, that you had to put in, you know, time and effort for it. But I, I still don't I, I don't agree with the amount of time and effort these kids are putting into today. Like, I, I mean, I go to therapy. I, I, I tore my knee up during the, the first couple of days of of the covid and the quarantine at home. And I had to have surgery. So I had knee surgery. So I've been going to physical therapy here. And the amount of little kids that I see at therapy is mind-blowing to me. Like literally eight, nine-year-olds. And like they're, you know, a lot of them, some of them are soccer players. Some of them are baseball. Some of them, some of the girls are, are, most of the girls are soccer. And most of the guys are baseball. And like you see them and like they're working on their shoulders. Like the kids, like they're getting shoulder treatment or elbow treatment, like. I'm like at eight or nine years old. At eight, like, bro. I mean, Tommy John I mean, in high school now. It's common I mean, yeah, for kids to get Tommy John. Now, here's, here's a crazy thing. I'm going to tell you a crazy thing. So, perfect game. You know what perfect game is? It's so like perfect. The, 
It's like the one. It's like the uh, team one now of the team. Exactly, yeah. bro. But 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 easier to get in. Team one was an invite invited thing. Yeah. Perfect game. Now everybody, unless it's like their showcase, everybody goes in. Yeah. I see because they're with Rawlings, so I Great see business. the. Great oh business. my god, that's the business right there, bro. <laughs> yeah. Listen, they put the they put the top exit velos for hitters. They put the top the top miles per hour. There's a 14-year-old out there that's throwing 92 miles per hour, bro. There's a 16-year-old that's throwing 100, dude. 100. It's sick, bro. It's sick, but it is what it is. Mikey, I want to talk about that. I We talked about this last time, bro. The Rock, man. Your relationship with Dwayne Johnson before he really, really, really crushed it. I think he was only a wrestler then. I don't know if he started into acting yet or not, man. So what Talk I Talk to me about that, man. Talk to me about that. So I graduated FIU, um, and my first job was in finance. Um, I didn't study finance, just so you know. I, I, I have a degree in history and political science. Uh, I ended up getting a job at this investment firm that the wife, the Rock's wife at the time, Danny Johnson, was the owner of uh, with two other partners. Um, one of the partners, Malcolm, who's actually his son pitches now at FIU. Um, Malcolm was a family friend and he kind of offered me like an internship, internship turned into a job, whatever. So I'm there in this financial world. She's married to the rock. Honestly, almost a year went by where before I really met him. Uh, and I met him super cool guy. He was already acting. Um, he had done a couple roles, uh, lead roles. Uh, I want to say like two or three, movies he had done already under his belt he was still uh, going back and forth with wrestling flirting with it still um keeping a presence um and nothing you know you know i i kind of came in in a time where he was really kind of transitioning fully into hollywood um and i still remember so i got to spend a lot of time with him because eventually he got he got held for a year sony paid him a ton of money to basically wait while they wrote this script for this movie called spy hunter i don't know if you remember the video game spy hunter it was the one with the car and like you know whatever i never got and the game but i remember seeing it. i remember so seeing it. they they paid him to sit at home so they could figure out how to write this script so in that year while he was really doing nothing I I got to to know him. Um, I was supposedly my role at the company was really to raise money, uh, which I you know I, to my own credit, I, I really didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I figured out how to do enough, uh, and to to raise some money, and to kind of like put myself in a position where you know I ended up working there for almost eight years, um, but. I, I developed a really good rapport with Dwayne where, you know, we eventually, I started going to do things in LA with him, uh, him and, and then his wife at the time. And to do things where like, some of the things were simply like, I would go over there to do stuff for his charity stuff. Uh, like go with him to a Make-A-Wish uh, event that he was doing in Hollywood, in Hollywood studios or in Universal studios that, and, and, um, I would go there with him and I would help him like put together the event, deal with 
the people from Universal, uh, and you know, it kind of like just kept snowballing into more and more and more and more things. Eventually, they gave me the role of of getting his foundation off the ground. He's not for he's not for profit, so I was a director of his not for not for profit, and we we got that going, which was awesome because like. We kind of piggybacked it at the same time as a movie, the launch of it. And we had this incredible launch event here at Sunset Place when we did the uh, premiere of, uh, uh, what's that movie where he's, uh, he's a football King? coach? Oh, no, he's um, a football coach in the, uh, in the kids' prison. Um, I forget what it's called now. But it was a great movie that tied into perfectly into like his charity and the things that he wanted to do. And like, you know, it was nuts because like, Obviously, I, I, I had the weight of Dwayne Johnson's name, The Rock, behind me. But, you know, I had to negotiate deals with Ford, you know, you know, Ford with Cadillac with uh, I had to negotiate deals with like, you know, these huge Fortune 500 companies, Mattel, uh, Harborough for toys and all this stuff to, to, to get his foundation off the ground. And, and, you know, looking back at it now, it's it's fucking crazy that. I was like that point person to do that. And the fact that they gave me that role was, was even cooler, but you know, and you were so what, 25, 26. Yeah. I was like 25, 26, maybe 27, but you know, the recession hit and honestly, like I didn't see it coming, but they fired me. Um, and that was a, that was a big blow for me, uh, to feel that feeling of getting fired. It was almost like when Coach Price cut me, you know, because now I was identifying as Michael Mendez, the Rocks guy. The Rocks guy, you know? yeah, bro. And, you know, I was going to, you know, games with him at the Heat, sitting at the floor, sitting next to him, you know, hanging out, going to chicken kitchen just to eat shit. And, you know, and like, no, it was really like, a, it was like a, I want to say it was a fake life, but it was fake, you know, like a fake life, uh, bro. Trust and, me, I know about that, buddy. So you know, flying in private planes and and you know, going from here to there, like you know, it was just like it was really it was amazing, you know, it was amazing. I learned so much in that world. Uh, I learned a lot, and even in the financial world of of how to put deals together, what kind of businesses we were looking to acquire to invest in. So I I learned a lot when it came to that. Um, but I got fired and literally, you know, I, I didn't, it was a hard time for me because I didn't know what was the next step. And more importantly, we were in the middle of a recession and nobody was hiring. Uh, you know, I remember going and meeting with all these people that I met with that loved me when I was working for the rock, but when I needed a job, nobody was giving me a fucking job. And, crazy. you know, I had a, I had a mortgage, you know, I was living in on 27th and Coral Way there at an apartment with Javi, my best friend, you know, I had a mortgage, I had car payments, I had, I had life and, you know, to, 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 to live. And I literally spent a year pretty much like piecemealing shit together. Mikey, uh, was that the last time you spoke to him or you spoke to him? Have you spoken to him after? No, that was the last time, you know, his wife, when, when she kind of parted ways with me, that was it. We never spoke again. Um, honestly, like he, he, he is probably one of the most genuine people you could ever meet. Um, he was 
always so like he is a perfect example of how if you're famous you should act and you should treat people um you know we would be at dinner and people would come up to us at dinner and be like oh you know can i have your autograph and all that stuff and he'd be like listen man let me let me eat and i'm gonna find you i'll find you and i'll sign whatever you want and i'll take pictures whatever it is okay you know we would have dinner and when we'd get up you'd see him he'd get up and everybody that wanted a picture or not signing sign, he would go to their table one by one and do it. And like, and the happiest guy in the world to do it. You know, we would go to the same restaurants a lot. He, he, you know, he was very stickler of like eating at the same places that he liked and he would get to know all the kitchen staff and he would buy them like boom boxes or stuff like that. Cause he liked to hear radio music while he ate so that he would say, hey, just keep the radio here for me. It was really for them. And then when they would come, they would, he would have his music. Um, you know, he would do shit like that for people. And, and at the time, I don't know if he still was, he was the number one wish grantor for Make-A-Wish. Um, really? And let me tell you, like, he took that to heart. Like, we would leave some of these wish granting things, and he was devastated. Devastated, torn up. Because he knew these kids were terminal. And, like, a lot of these kids are not going to live. Um, so that was, you know, and again, at that time I was 25, 26, I, I didn't understand. You didn't understand that. Yeah. No. And like, you know, he, he had a little girl, Simone, who's now a woman who's I think wrestling a now. wrestler now. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, but Simone was this little girl there, the, you know, tiny little thing. And, and, you know, so I, I, you know, he could relate and it, it was really difficult for him to, to do those make-a-wishes and grant those wishes and spend time with those kids and their families and all that. And we, we would leave there and sometimes in the car, I mean, he was torn up, devastated, like ripped apart. Um, but, you know, he, he really, really like believed in the mission of make-a-wish. Uh, and, you know, and, and he, uh, again, probably one of the most genuine nice guys out there really like when you talk to him it's like he's definitely listening to you he's not like trying to bullshit you right now he's listening to you and he's gonna put everything he has in that bleep of time that you have with him he's gonna make sure that he gives you everything that he has at that time and that's how he was when i was with him um you know what did you learn the most from him mikey you know humble be humble as far as like you know the you know, he never took for granted anything that he had, um, you know, never, and really family, uh, you know, look, look at it, pay attention to him. Like never been in any type of scandal, never been like, he's never out like eating shit, you know, going to clubs and all that stuff. This guy is yeah. like work, workout family and probably the other orders, probably family work and workout. You know, right. that's what he was all about. And he preached it and he did it. And he didn't care to get involved in any of that shit. Uh, you know, literally prepare, prepare, prepare. Um, that guy pre- worked harder than anybody I've ever seen to, like, prepare uh, for a role, for a scene, for anything. Um, and, you know, he, he really, you know, he's Hollywood, man. And, and all the power. He's the guy. He's him. number one. Number one. Him and. And all the power to him and his ex-wife, now his manager and his business partner, his uh, Danny, like they they figured out from getting divorced how to build an empire. Yeah. And they have. And I mean, I don't know 
of any. And she's or, Cuban, right? She's Cuban. She is Cuban. She's incredibly smart, very sharp, very athletic. Uh, you know, and she she's she's definitely the um, the enforcer <laughs> between the two of them. Right. Um, and and she, but she honestly like all the credit to her. Like, I you know even though she fired me and like, it felt like shit. And I went through that feeling, you know, I think in disguise for me, it was the greatest thing that happened to me. Um, and you know, as bitter as I was when it happened, like now looking back at it, you know, she probably did the best thing for me and, and, and letting me go at the time. And, and, you know, she honestly like watching what she's on her own is, is with him together. is is incredible. It's really it's incredible. Great, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Mikey, so, what's your but it favorite? Was, it was a cool time. Let me. What's your favorite type of music? I know I'm gonna get some weird answer here, but what's your favorite type Dude, of music? Honestly, anybody that works out to YouTube, uh, YouTube. That's I don't know. That, so YouTube what's your for favorite me is, kind of is like church, you know, to me. Like I can right. literally listen to YouTube. I've traveled the world to go to YouTube concerts. Um, favorite YouTube I song. Can, Favorite YouTube song I would say is "With or Without You." Like you can never go wrong. You can never go wrong song. with that. Huh? You know, it's such a classic, great song. Um, but honestly, like anything they put out for me is like, and again, like I have a hard time criticizing them. But you know, and, and I think they're also a great story. You know, they're, right. they're that's one of the best things that they do is the they're great storytellers. Um, you know, like, I think Coldplay is right behind them in that. And I think Coldplay will eventually be the next U2. Uh, they're just great storytellers. They want, when they have concerts and they put on shows, they want you to be involved. It's not about them. It's about the experience that you're going to have with them at that concert. You know, so it's... it's and they've never had, like, inter like, like, fights between the band or anything, huh? I'm sure. I mean, obviously, we don't know. Well, nothing that we but... know public or nothing like, not like no, a Guns N' Roses kind of thing, which I was out of control. No, no, not, 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 not that I'm aware of, no. But, you know, I, I don't, you know. All right. Have you ever met drugs? him? Have you ever met any of them before? No, I, I would love to meet Bono. Uh, I think he's Listen, fascinating as a, as a person. So, uh, this is a crazy story. I, so one of my... About for three years, I, I call I used to call him Beast. For about three years, Stephen Bauer, Manolo mm -hmm. from Scarface, yeah. lived, in a, lived in an air mattress. I was literally watching him on TV two two days ago on Scarface. Like I was on TV. My man, that so my story is so my whole high school I got compared to him a lot because we sounded a lot and maybe yeah, looked a little bit I when, when I had the hair and stuff like that. This dude ends up living in an air mattress, sleeping in an air mattress in my studio. In Studio City for three months, bro. Okay. First time I went to the Studio City, Los Angeles. First time I go to the Playboy Mansion is with him. For, like literally, we would get ready to go out and we're reciting Scarface lines to each other. It's hilarious. And he one time told me because he's like, I don't know, he has this fascination with singing and the guitar and like Bobby Dylan and this kind of thing. Bro, and he and we went somewhere for St. Patrick's Day, and it was like in I think it was somewhere in Venice or somewhere we went. And he was telling me about the time that he met Bono. 
And he says, when those eyes locked into you, like there couldn't be a nicer, more present dude. He was Man. just, he said, I never forget him telling me that. He goes, bro, Bono was just so engaging, like so awesome. So, yeah, uh, I, I could imagine, like, it, definitely. I mean, again, he puts on shows and, and it's, for me, it's it's religion, you know. I I'm not big in going into church or anything like that, but I, I will never. But that's big, huh? If Bono's there, I'm I'm gonna. You're go going. And I'm gonna listen. Uh, so it to me, it's you know, we my wife and I went to see him in Paris, you too, and it was literally the night before the Bataclan attack, where the Paris. Wow. Attack. Um, and we were in the middle of Paris when all that happened, and it was it was crazy, and you know, but. It's crazy to me. It's like, you know, I, I went to I went to Paris to go watch these guys and this attack happened. And like Bono was in the same city as I was when this attack happened. And like, you know, in my head, I'm like, where the fuck is Bono? What are they doing right now? Like, you know, and as I'm stuck in my hotel room with my pregnant wife, you know, boarding up and like telling the hotels telling us, you know, stay in your rooms, close your blinds. And, you know, it was a it was really a crazy, crazy few hours. Wow, for us, but. Bro. But uh, but it was intense. Uh, but no, I mean, dude, like, you know, so that's that's definitely like my favorite music. That's your favorite Is one. Anything like Mumford, anything like that. Like I, I listen to. Uh, but honestly, I listen to anything. I'll, I'll, you know, as long as it's, you know, I, I can't get into gangster rap uh, <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, but I'll listen to it if it's on. I mean, I go now to physical. When I go to physical therapy, all these guys, that's all they listen to. So I'm in there with <laughs> all these little young guys working out, and uh, and that's what they're listening to. So the trap, awesome, trap music. Bro. Trap music. That is awesome. <laughs> Mikey, any any question for me, bro? Dude, no, man. You know, for me, like I, I told you this before, is, you know, when you arrive back here, and I saw you that day at Body and Soul, and we, you know, we talked for maybe three minutes. Uh, I, you know, eh, I didn't know what the hell you were doing. You know, I, I didn't know what you had been doing. I didn't know what you were going to do. And then, you know, that was maybe, you know, that was a while ago. What, what, what you know, probably the date that you got back, but I, I don't remember. But it was probably like five years ago, six. Five years ago. ago. Five years ago. So. You know, maybe a year later, I come across you on Instagram doing your coaching thing and and talking positive and all the shit. And like, and I was like, it's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like the Hector Pinata I remember was this left-handed hitter that you know that quit in the middle of a game. Like, and here's this guy, and mind you, that is. That is me trying to hate on what I'm seeing instantly. That's my initial reaction. Like, what the fuck's this guy doing? Like, what is this guy doing? Like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, that's just my initial reaction. Right. And I remember, like, a couple, I kept seeing you, and I'm not following you, but I keep looking at your shit. And, uh, <laughs> I and love like, that you admit that. Why do people do that, man? <laughs> and, and I'm still looking at this guy's shit, and like, and I remember like one day I like, I, I text. I think it was guys, and I go, guys, what the fuck is this guy doing? 
the guys like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he started this thing. And, you know, he has his kids and he's teaching, you know, he's doing hitting lessons. He's like, he's coaching kids. Oh, whatever, you know. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this didn't, I was like, didn't he quit in the middle of the season? He's like, Louis, like, yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. But and then, you know, I started, obviously, I kept following you and listening to what you're saying. And, and then I started realizing is you're not, you're not lying. You're not selling these kids a fucking pipe dream. You're not selling the parents a pipe dream. You're not trying to tell them, hey, your son is going to be the next Mike Trout. You know, no, you were there telling them the, the truth. Hey, love your kid. Spend time with your kid. This is how you help him by not. This is how you don't go, drive yourself crazy and scream at your kid and grab him by the hair and, and tell him he sucks and all this stuff. You know, you, you, you're helping families, you're helping kids, and you're helping kids realize that, yes, baseball is important and all those things are important. But there's so many more things that are important in life, spending time with your family, doing the things that you need to do in school. Uh, get good grades and and you dude you you literally came in as a breath of fresh air of what everybody else was doing in this baseball world which was grind 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 get out there 200 degrees 200 ground balls 500 swings and if and then you know run 10 laps and you still suck in my eyes as you know that's that's how you know it is in this world, unfortunately. Uh, and you came with a different message, but at the same time, your message isn't like, "Hey, man, it's all fucking rainbows and everything. It's gonna get life is gonna suck, and and this is gonna prepare you for it. And this is how you prepare and and make sure you have your family with you. And dude, so you, you, I started seeing you know your message, and I was like, you know, this guy's onto something. And and you know, obviously, my my hate turned into to like. You know he's 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 on to something. Uh, he's doing something, and then I started seeing how, you know, your 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 footprint um, was just getting bigger and bigger, and it was and it was basically because your message was so different of of positivity, but at the same time a a positivity that's realistic. You know, it's not a bullshit pie in the sky positivity. It's 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 real life positivity. And not many, you know, and I just I, I have to give you credit where credit is due. I mean, as much as I wanted to fucking hate what you were doing, right? I was like, no man, this guy is doing it right. He's giving the right message. I mind you, I don't know systematically if you're teaching a kid how to swing correctly. I don't know that. I, and I don't know any more. I don't know better than you or, or anybody else if you're teaching a kid how to hit right. But I know you're teaching the kid how to mentally handle life and and teaching the parents what's important. That's the it's one, not, bro. That's the it's one. Not, it's, not, it's not, you know, you're you grinding on your kid to live your dreams. It's your kid having his own dreams and you being on that ride and that journey with him and with them. And, you know, so... Dude, it, it, it really is, again, I, I have to give you so much credit that you you found your path and you attacked it. And, and you know, at the end of the day, the ones who, you know, you're the one who's going to end up 
you know, at the greatest seat of the table when this is all said and done because you really focused and found your path. And it, it might have taken you going to L.A., leaving in the middle of a baseball game at FIU and quitting baseball together and moving to Vegas and doing the door guy thing and doing all that that you had to do to endure to get you to where you're going now. Dude, it's, it's all worth it in the end of the day because, you know, you have become a brand. And, like, that is all we could ever strive to be is to be a brand. And, like, people now, you know, turn to you for information and turn for you for for the next – what is the next thing for me, dude? Like, what, you know, they want to they wanna know from you what is next and how I should react next. And to be that person for – thousands and thousands and maybe possibly millions of people is is powerful man and that that alone is is incredible credit to you i mean uh you know yeah i mean i run a successful business but i don't have thousands of people turning to me to ask me hey or listen to me and listen to my word no i mean you have that that is powerful man. and that i think is is and there's nobody else that you have to give credit to but yourself because you literally put your head and your your nose down and you fucking grind it. You know, and you told me like I you moved out of your beautiful house here to to cut costs to make this work. And like you are all in, bro. You like you literally chips are on the fucking table and you're you're doing it. Uh which that is that's bigger balls than I got. You know, like if you told me today I had to put everything on the table to to do that, I would I would think twice about it. But you here it is, all in, big guy, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go all out to do it, and and you know I I can't I can't express to you how much that how much respect I have for you on that, uh, and 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 how you're living life, bro. Like you, you're you're putting yourself out there, like you know that again. That's something that I would have a hard time doing. Like you're literally putting yourself out there every single day. You're putting your life, your family, and you're putting it out there, the good, the bad, the ugly, and, like, you're not hiding it. And, you know, you're showing this is what it takes, you know, to, to get to where I want to go to. Not everybody wants to get to where you want to go to and wants to be Coach HP, but it's still, at the end of the day, there has to be sacrifices made to get to that end road. And, bro, you know, every day, every time I look at what you're doing now, and like, the, it's it's I feel like you're constantly just upping your your game man and like just doing everything you have to do and like grinding dude so like again I can't tell you enough how how proud I am of you uh to know you to call you a friend uh, but at the same time just sitting here and like watching you grow has, has been pretty incredible dude I, I I literally can't thank you enough for for saying something like that because the fact that you're honest with yourself, that's a win. The fact that you could say, oh, I, like, I look at this guy and it's almost a societal thing that we're, we weren't trained to. If, if maybe you would have seen me playing baseball, you would have maybe been like, oh, look, he played baseball. But if you see somebody that's doing something different, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, who's this guy and whatever. And I understand, I understand everything you said. Today I did a post, which is probably one of my most important posts is, what do you do the day after? That literally yesterday, I was in New York City. 
Yeah. With probably what's going to be the number one media company in the world. Like what those guys did. Pornoy just met with Trump. 16 yeah. million views. Big Cat playing a video game for a national championship. 150,000 views on Twitch. It's just crazy. Yeah. With the CEO on her podcast to be able to go on a show like the yak that's on series and just go in there and just blah, 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 blah. Like if I know what I'm talking, like just the Holy spirit hit me and blah, blah. And what I told people today was, man, I flew last minute in a Corona infested world to New York yeah. city with a pregnant wife. That's about to give birth. Risk what it all. She do? She's due the first two weeks of September. Kind of there soon, you know, pretty yeah. soon leave with a, with no help and just leave her here and go do that and then come back and it's all high. It's always what you do the day after, man, when you're not there yet. At some point, or I'm going to die trying, my reality will be that. Whatever it is, I'm established already, but because I'm not there yet is what you do the day after, bro, and what you do the day after. And what me telling my truth of identity issues, of dealing with my dad, of why I left FIU was not that I... Dude, my dream was, here's my dream. My dream was if I could just get grab uh, a do a BP at Mark Light Stadium, I would just would have died happily, bro. Because UM to us growing yeah. up with the Yankees. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the fact For that sure. my dad took that away from me, not because no, because here's the and here's the irony of life. My dad trained me as a baseball player since I was three years old. Every almost every single day, we didn't do anything. We did, all we did was baseball, baseball, baseball. And the fact that he pulls me out of the sport because his ears hurt, because I wasn't, because it wasn't because he wasn't worried about me. He was worried about yeah. him. Of, of, mira, mira lo que están haciendo, wey, pero tú, tú, tú eres un comimiento. That thing, that thing caused me to go, you know what, bro? I'd rather not deal with this anymore. All yeah. the time he invested, which is what I tell parents now, Mike. I go, listen, bro. I do this to parents. I go, my dad invested his whole life. My dad never took one vacation. My dad never did. All he did was invested in baseball. And then look how he ended my career. Look how, look how stupid that move was. But then other people don't know that because so me putting myself out there, man, freed me up like you have no idea to be able to show kids. And I, I swear to God, I do it to this day to show because everybody now you ask kids when we were growing up, what do you want to be? Everybody said athlete. Very few said singer. Now, 90% of kids, this is statistically, they want to be influencers. Want to be on YouTube. They want to be on this. They want to be gamers now. It's totally yeah. different. So when these kids reach out to me, when failure hits, and I always tell people I'm the biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball. They're like, why is that? I go, because baseball cost me my life. I got the shit beat out of me. Mikey, probably once, twice a week. Nobody did anything, including my mom. She saw it. Yeah. And I go, this is happening to me for a reason. One day I'm going to come back and change it, bro. So so that's the story there. Dude, I can't thank you enough for your time. Don't leave you because I want to talk to you. I want to say bye to you the right way. But for the podcast sense, I want to thank you for your time. Anything you want to plug? I know we didn't get to. We're going to get you again. I know we have Mendez Fuel. We have the Mendez Cones, right? What do we got with the cones? No, traffic. Plug code. anything. Plug what no, you want to plug. Go for it. So we got Mendes Fuel, which is obviously my gas stations. But honestly, like, I'm going to drop something on you that we're, we're going to drop soon is uh, part of Mendes Fuel. We're starting Mendes Fuel Tadne. So we're about to drop uh, a private label meat line 
in the next, uh, I would say in the next couple of weeks. But and then, you know, my other side business is uh, Trafico, which is essentially a Bob's Barricade uh, business. We do uh, road uh, barricades, road signs, anything you see on the highways and stuff like that. We do all that stuff. So, you know, those are the kind of the two things I got going on. And, you know, and then obviously my my family, uh, my kids and my wife, uh, that, that that's, uh, takes up the biggest part of my day. Um, and, and now that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing well. Can't complain. My man. All right, brother. Boom. There it is. Big shout out to my man, Mike crushed it. Did awesome. I got to do a part two where we talk about more stuff, but again, thank you. If you haven't yet, please subscribe. Please like it's your coach. Love you guys. See you soon. Remember at the end of the day, Keep going hard and do your thing. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.